To ask God to give us our daily bread is an acknowledgement that he is the one who provides us with all of the physical necessities to sustain life here. And it also acknowledges that he is the one who uses those provisions and resources to sustain our lives. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. When was the last time you gave thanks to God for what He has provided, both spiritual and physical? Or do you reject any claim of divine providence for the benefits you enjoy, giving sole credit to your own efforts and actions? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will have part seven for us of his current series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. As you might expect with Jesus Christ, every word he spoke resounds with rich meaning. His words are living and active, containing the deepest of truths and exposing the darkness in each heart. In Matthew chapter six, Christ teaches that his disciples should pray, Give us this day our daily bread. These seven English words reveal four life-changing spiritual lessons about God's goodness and His abundant provision. The question is, do you rest in the care of God? Let's find out more as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Now today, we begin to study the final three petitions. And in these three petitions... Jesus teaches us, finally, how to pray about ourselves. He teaches us, first of all, notice the fourth petition, to pray, in verse 11, for the needs of life, the physical needs of life. Give us this day our daily bread. The fifth petition is about the confession of sin, in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The sixth and final petition is for the pursuit of holiness. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, as we begin to think about our needs and our concerns and begin to pray about those things, it's important to remember this doesn't mean that we can suddenly forget about God's glory and God's kingdom and God's will. We must pray these three petitions that have to do with us in light of the three petitions that have to do with God. God, do these things for me, but only as it brings you glory, as it advances your kingdom, and as your will is further embraced. These three petitions that end the Lord's Prayer, these petitions about us, are all-inclusive. Give us this day our daily bread. That summarizes a request for all of the physical needs of this life. Forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are about all of the spiritual needs of this life. And so comprehended in these three petitions everything. Lloyd-Jones says our whole life is found in those three petitions because we are two-part beings. We are body and soul. The fourth petition deals with our body and its survival and all that we need for that, and the, the fifth and sixth petitions with our souls. Now, I want us to consider for a few moments, or a few minutes this morning rather, this familiar fourth petition. Look at verse 11. Give us this day 
our daily bread. As you would expect with our Lord, every word here speaks to us with rich meaning and exposes us to the deepest of truths. In these seven English words, eight words in the Greek text, we discover four life-changing spiritual lessons about the physical needs of this life and God's abundant provision to meet them. Four great spiritual lessons about the needs of this life and how God in His goodness meets them. Let's look at these lessons together. The first lesson that we learn here is a lesson in grace. We see this lesson in the first word of this petition. Verse 11 begins, give. That simple word reminds us that everything we have comes to us from God. It's a gift of His grace. Now, let me just say at the outset that understanding that everything we have comes from God and is a gracious gift is not an excuse for personal laziness. The Bible will not countenance laziness. Whatever your hand finds to do, God says, do it with your might. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, as God pronounces on Adam the curse as a result of his sin, he tells him, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. By the way, work was not the result of the curse. There was work before the curse. In the curse, work became work. We will work in eternity. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. God says, I want you to work hard. The same thing is true in the New Testament. Paul tells the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, some of them had become so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. Their eschatology had caused them to stop working hard. And here's what Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. When we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. It's pretty straightforward. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. Listen, the Bible will not excuse laziness and never does. John Calvin writes, the fields must be cultivated. Labor must be bestowed on gathering the fruits of the earth. And every man must submit to the toil of his calling in order to procure food. But all this does not hinder us from being fed by the undeserved kindness of God without which men might waste their strength to no purpose. We are thus taught that what we seem to have acquired by our own industry is his gift. To ask God to give us our daily bread is an acknowledgement that he is the one who provides us with all of the physical necessities to sustain life here. And it also acknowledges that he is the one who uses those provisions and resources to sustain our lives. Scripture constantly hammers the truth that God is the source of every good thing. God is the one who gives life itself. Turn to Acts 17. Acts 17, and you find here as Paul preaches to the Athenians and as he 
unfolds to them the true and living God, the one they worship as an unknown God. Notice what he tells them about God in in Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, there's God as the creator of everything. He made it all and he is sovereign over it all. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. By the way, those two things go together. What you make, you have ownership and sovereignty over. What God makes, he has ownership and sovereignty over. That is why evolution is so popular, because people resent the sovereignty of God, his right to tell them what to do. But Paul nails both of them here. And he says, this God who created all things and who's sovereign over all things does not dwell in temples made with hands. You can't put God in a box. There's nowhere you can contain God. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Do you understand God doesn't need anything from you? Nothing. There's nothing God needs from you. Why? End of verse 25. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath. Listen, the reason you were born is because of God's sovereign purpose. The reason you live today, the reason your heart still beats at this moment is because God has given you life and continues to sustain that life. Notice verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist. But not only does God give us life, he also then gives us everything we need to sustain this life. Look back at the end of verse 25. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and what? All things. Turn back a few pages to chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. You remember the story. There's a healing and the people began to worship them as gods. Notice verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and we preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from idols to the living God, the one who created everything. Verse 16, and the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet... He did not leave himself without witness. What was God's witness? And continues to be his witness. In that, he did good, and he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, and he satisfied your hearts with food and gladness. Listen, every good thing any being on this planet enjoys is a gift of God. It's a gift of his grace. That's why in James 1.17, James writes, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. There's nothing in your life that's good that hasn't come to you from God. You say, now wait a minute. I understand that ultimately God is the creator and all of that, but, but what, about, what about my electronics? What about my computer and my smartphone and and my microwave? And what about my car? I mean, those things aren't from God. Well, think about this for a moment. Even those things that he has not given us directly, he is the one who has provided the natural resources from which everything is made. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness of it, everything in it, all it contains. In Matthew chapter 5, we saw 
that when our Lord was describing God's goodness, I love this expression. He calls the son God's son. He makes his son to shine on the evil and the good. He sends the rain. And the same is true for every other resource on this planet. The gas we pump in our cars, the minerals from which all the metal things that we enjoy are made, everything ultimately comes from the resources God intentionally put on this planet for his creation. God also sustains the laws on which all of our technology and invention rest. The reason there's enough constancy in our world for us to turn on our cell phone and for those signals to be sent through the air is because God sustains all of that. Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. To take this yet another step, God gifts men with specific skills for their own livelihood, but also for the benefit of all mankind. Everybody here this morning, you have skills. Where do those skills come from? Those are an expression of the common grace of God to you and to everyone else so that you can use those skills and gifts not only for your own good, but for the good of others. Listen to Exodus 31.6. God says, in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. In the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. You see, God in his common grace allows men to discover his resources that he put here and his laws that he holds in place and to use their God-given skills to harness all of that for mankind's advantage. And so everything, everything you and I enjoy that's good comes to us from God. Those Advantages, those technologies can be used for evil and often are, but they can also be used for good. And in that sense, they are an expression of God's common grace. Let's talk more personally, though. Ultimately, God is the one who has providentially granted you whatever degree of financial prosperity you enjoy. Moses makes this very clear to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn to Deuteronomy 8. I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 8, verse 16. Moses says, In the wilderness, God fed you. And in this case, he fed them miraculously with manna. He fed you with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and he might test you to do good to you in the end. And here's what God doesn't want you saying in your heart. And by the way, most of us would never say this outwardly. That's why it says don't say this in your heart. Okay, this is what God doesn't want you to think. My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He says to Israel, listen, whatever wealth you enjoy is an expression of God's goodness and grace. And the rest of the scripture makes that clear that it's universally true for all of us. For example, in Proverbs 10, verse 22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Hosea 2, 8, God says, Israel does not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the new wine and the oil. It was I who lavished on her silver and gold. And then he goes on to say, Israel took those resources I gave her in my generosity and she used them for idol worship, for Baal. 
Let me ask you, do you take any credit for your financial prosperity? As you sit here this morning, as I've told you before, we are blessed by God. Every person in this room is in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. Take the 7 billion people on this planet and every person here is in the top 10%. Do you think that's because of you? Do you think that's because you're smart and you're creative and you've worked hard? Listen, although you may never breathe a word to anyone else, do you believe your own hard work, your own intelligence, your own gifts are the real reason behind your success? Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Listen, you came naked into this world with nothing, and you will leave this world naked with nothing. And everything you have in between is an expression of God's grace. What do you, what do you have that you did not receive? You say, boy, you know, I've succeeded because of my intelligence. Yeah, and where did you get that? I've succeeded because, because I've worked hard. And who gave you the capacity to physically work hard? And on and on it goes. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you not received it? Listen, God is responsible for every success you and I have had. And God is the one who has given us as a free expression of his grace, whatever good we enjoy. Jesus teaches us to pray, asking God daily to give us, as a gift of his grace, what we need. That forces us every day to come face to face with grace. Father, open up your hand, be gracious to me, and give me what I need. So this petition sets before us a lesson in grace. Secondly, it also teaches us a lesson in love a lesson in love. Look again at verse 11 of Matthew chapter 6. Give us, give us. Like all of the requests about our needs in the Lord's Prayer, this one is plural. We may pray in private, but we may never pray in isolation. Here our Lord reminds us that when we pray for the needs of this life, we have a responsibility not only to pray that our own needs be met, but also for others. When we pray, give us our daily bread, we are praying not only for ourselves, that God would supply us with the physical needs of this life, but we are also praying for others. We're praying for our families. This is a biblical responsibility we have. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We quote this verse, but often out of context. 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, just to introduce it, Paul is dealing with the issue of widows in the church. Widows who are truly widows, who meet certain qualifications and who don't have anyone from the family to support them. Verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they, that is the children or grandchildren, must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents or grandparents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now listen, we normally quote this as saying we ought to provide for our own immediate families, and that's true. That's certainly implied here. 
But in the context, it's talking about older parents and grandparents who are dependent and can't care for themselves. We are responsible to to be concerned about their needs and to meet those needs and to fail to do so is to be worse than an unbeliever. So we are to pray, give us, in the sense not only of ourselves, but in the sense of our families and even dependent parents and grandparents. We're also to pray for other believers. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 and verse 10, Paul writes, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see this throughout the New Testament. You see believers taking care of other believers. So when we pray, give us, we're not only praying for ourselves and our own families, we're also praying for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In addition, we're praying for all of those in need, even those who aren't believers. Look again at verse 10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Sometimes not only do we have to pray for their needs to be met, we have to put feet to our prayers and do good to them. You remember the Old Testament and its laws required for you, if you were reaping your field, you were supposed to leave the corners of that field unharvested. And if wheat dropped as you were harvesting the field, you weren't supposed to make a second pass to sort of clean up your profits. Instead, you were supposed to leave the wheat that had fallen. Why? For the poor. God is concerned about them, and we should be as well. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul is dealing with a person who was a thief before they came to Christ, and he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, get a job instead of taking from others, performing with his own hands what is good so that, and what we expect to read is so that he will be able to support himself. But that's not what Paul says. He says, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Listen, do you realize that the reason you have a job, the reason God is blessing your employment, is not solely so that you can support your family? It's not solely so that you will have, it's so that you can help others as well. Basil, one of the early church fathers, wrote this. He said, the bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. The shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. The clothes that are stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. Your stuff doesn't belong to you. Don't become a hoarder. Sadly, we are often so absorbed with our own needs that we, in essence, pray, give me my daily bread. And we ignore the physical and financial needs of our family and our brothers and sisters in Christ and even the unregenerate poor around us. Jesus says we're to pray, give us. It's a lesson in love for others. In this fourth petition, Jesus wanted us to learn a lesson in grace, give. A lesson in love, give us. There's a third lesson in this brief request. It's a lesson in trust. Look again at verse 11. Give us this day. This day translates a very common Greek word for today. Give us today. Luke uses a a slightly different expression. Of course, in 
a few months from when he preached this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preached and taught his disciples there in Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer, on a separate occasion. There he said, give us according to the day, or day by day, or as the NAS translates it, give us each day. Be continually giving us according to what's appropriate for the needs of each day. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Tom will bring you part eight on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.